You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. And I'm Ryan. I'm on Force Friends Rewatch, <laughs> oh, we got a guest, too, and they are <laughs> so, so nice excited. To it. Um, on Force Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows, and then we talk about them. We're currently covering uh, all of the Mandalorian-centric episodes from The Clone Wars, from Rebels, and from The Mandalorian. Uh, but before we get into that, we have a guest. Do yes. you want to introduce yourself, guest? Never, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Erebus. And Erebus, how do how do how do we know you, and what's your connection to Star Wars? Well, everybody mostly knows me as Linus Cosplay, so you, you know Instagram and all the cosplay groups and communities from over the years. And then Ryan knows me from harassing him. <laughs> but mostly Star Wars costumes and all that good stuff. I know Erebus because she uh, she brought out the fact that my own partner, Becca, uh, has an unhealthy attraction to terrorist mastermind Pre Vizsla, uh, which is why I felt Erebus needed to be on these episodes for some spirited debate about the one that they unfortunately called Daddy. Mmm, see, that was Becca's dubbing. I only followed it. Was it really? It was. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yes. Right, I just, I'll bring that up in counseling. I just <laughs> started following you on Lioness Cosplay, and your Wonder Woman is so dope. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, oh, Daddy yeah. daddy being Vizsla? <laughs> yes, daddy Vizsla. precisely. Yeah. Um, I don't think he swings your way. Uh, he does <laughs> give Darth Maul head. Yes, he does. <laughs> This is true. But he is a hottie. <laughs> he's, he's a sexy bald man. All right. Before we get into... Oh, I guess I should say the episodes we're covering on today's episodes. We're covering... Yeah. Uh, Secret Weapons, A Sunny Day in the Void, Missing in Action, and Point oh, of No Return. Everyone's hey, favorite season five episodes. <laughs> get the hell out of here. <laughs> uh, no, we're covering Eminence, Shades of Reason, and The Lawless. Uh, yes. This is a very famous arc, and I'm very excited to talk about it. Oh, God. Well, um, uh, I'm not participating because my answer is simply no. Uh, but is Pre Vizsla more attractive before or after he gets a scar from Count Dooku? How dare you? Oh, yeah, I dare. I dare. I think he gets, like, 5,000 more bad guy points or bad boy points, to be specific, from the scar. Okay. Yeah. Not gonna I... lie, like, the shaved head look works for him, too, because he did have some hair in the beginning, but something happened to that. I have a very specific uh, thing that probably has a lot to do with my, like, evangelical shame, but, like, Boys who are beat up and like crying a little bit and like covered in bruises or scars, 
really hot. So the scar works. <laughs> um, and like before anyone thinks I'm weird, I'm talking about like Charlie Cox and Daredevil. Like that boy is crying every single episode in Daredevil. And it, I don't know, it does it for me. <laughs> I dig it. I had a feeling you were both going that direction, uh, but I just wanted to get it on the record. I mean, it works. And I, my question is with that, though, is I noticed Bo-Katan also has, she has a scar above her eye, but she has one below her eye, too, on her cheek. So I wonder if they have twin scars. <laughs> Gonzuku just lined them up and everybody got the same right down the line. Uh, yeah. I, well, my sister and I have the not. same scar on her forehead, so, you know, it could have happened. <laughs> That's fair. I never noticed her scars, but you're right. So anyway, these episodes. Yeah, so uh, I'll break down these episodes. Ryan, uh, those were some weird bits. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're good, all in a weird place right now. <laughs> good, good work. Um, that is fair. It's been a weird week. Uh, to, to show you how the sausage gets made here, we're recording this episode during Friday of election week. So we still don't know who's won. It looks like Biden. Fingers crossed. Uh, maybe our endorsement will push him over the edge. Um, <laughs> so Eminence starts off with uh, Darth Maul and Savage Oppress being rescued by Death Watch, and they form a gay collective and start like taking out crime lords. Uh, we get some real fun, uh, Black Sun stuff, and, uh, specifically the Hut stuff is quite good. Uh, and we see our bounty hunter friends, uh, who pop up in Clone Wars quite a bit, and, uh, I don't know, it feels kind of like a video game. It feels like yeah. they're trying to, like, fight these Force users. It feels very video gamey. It's some great combat. It's very good. Uh, next in Shades of Reason... Uh, we get from dialogue with Bo-Katan and Vizsla that they are kind of like mean girlsing the Sith Lords and like Bo-Katan is pretending to not like them, but really it's all an act and they're trying to like, you know, manipulate them. And, uh, Darth Maul is doing these like false flag attacks with the crime Lords against Mandalore, and then the Death Watch is coming in and, like, rescuing people. And it's pretty fucked up. And uh, it kind of makes you wonder about Din Djarin getting rescued by Mandalorians a little bit, too. If that was also maybe some false flag shit with Death Watch. We don't know, though. Uh, Duchess Satine gets overthrown and imprisoned, and uh, she calls out to Obi-Wan for help, and then the lawless happens. Obi-Wan comes to save the day with a very shitty ship. Uh, there's some great humor bits. He tries to rescue Satine. It doesn't work out so well. Darth Maul murders her. Bo-Katan helps Obi-Wan escape. And, uh... Oh, and then Palpatine shows up and beats the shit out of Savage and Maul. And uh, we had to wait years to find out what happened next. Uh, but that's where the episode ends, is uh, Darth Maul on his knees begging for mercy. Oh, shit. He murdered, uh, what's his name? Uh, Vizsla. He kills Vizsla. It's possibly the best lightsaber fight in all of Clone Wars. 
Oh, yeah. And uh, Bo-Katan gives her no outsider will ever rule Mandalore. And then uh, her and her homies, like, get the fuck out of there. And then Obi-Wan shows. It's a whole thing. Watch the episodes. You've seen them already. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's talk about them now. Yeah. Aravis, what are your thoughts on these three episodes? Uh, just right out the gate, like, shooting from the hip. What do you got? Sounds like my family gatherings, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're They're my favorite. Um, episodes in the Clone Wars. I think they've got a lot of depth to them. They've got a lot of meat to them. They've got a lot going on character-wise, even for these characters that may have been considered more, I guess, I wouldn't say minor, but, you know, they're not the the main focus of the Clone Wars, but yet those episodes are pretty heavy and hold a lot to them. So I really, 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 really enjoy them. They're the ones I rewatch all the time, especially the Lawless, as much as it hurts. But... That lightsaber fight, definitely one of the best ones I think we've seen. And um, it's always one I would like refer to when we're talking about good lightsaber fights and what the best ones are. Except for the fact that, you know, they beheaded Daddy Vizsla. <laughs> what? What I think these episodes really highlight is that Force users are not invincible. Yes. And like the the fight with the bounty hunters is like brutal. Like Embo is like beating the shit out of Savage and like the wolf gets in on it and um is it Suki? Suki. Yeah, like her and Darth Maul are just like trading punches. And then we see Vizsla, you know, really hold his own and almost win. And Obi-Wan also gets the shit beat out of him by a bunch of Mandos. Yeah. And if you're coming from Legends and, you know, things like the Force Unleashed or the New Jedi Order books and shit, like, the the Force users get so OP. And I think Clone Wars really was like, hold up a second. Like, let's readjust here. And I think these three episodes kind of highlight that. Yeah, and it... it it brings it more in line with what we see in the movies. Like, the Jedi got absolutely massacred on Geonosis. And this idea from Legends, my example is always Mace Windu on Dantooine in the Clone Wars micro-series by Genji Tartakovsky. You know, that's fun, but it doesn't fit the universe. Or, or Mace Windu would have just fucked up the Geonosis arena the same way he fucked up that droid army there. Uh, this is a lot more in line with you know, like Darth Vader being out of breath at the end of a fight in the Empire Strikes Back. Like these, these people can tap into this amazing energy field, but they're not this amazing energy field. So. Also, Vizsla's hot. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so glad somebody brought that up. Um, I, I have a theory that uh, Mandalorians are like vampires. Uh, there's not a single heterosexual Mandalorian. Uh, these episodes do reinforce that theory with Bo-Katan and Vizsla. Um, I think that in the way that queer people in the 50s used to say like, oh, I'm a friend of Dorothy to like, you know, code to each other, like to signal. I think in Star Wars, people say I'm a friend of Bo-Katan. <laughs> <laughs> I love that that you put out on the that was on the podcast account right or was that on your yeah own? no that was a podcast account it's our yeah, pins tweet uh, that was brilliant 
I sent that to uh, actually Erebus knows her. I sent that to my friend Emily, who is very into Boca Tan. Oh, and uh, Emily. she was just like, "Yeah, this adds up. That's it. That's <laughs> canon. That's that's the show." They just seem like uh, a lesbian and maybe maybe like a bisexual like best friend pair like villain pair. Uh, yeah, and like so often villains will have kind of like an uncomfortable sexual energy with like the women sidekicks they have and there's none of that here like they're just two really professional people who value each other's work and skill and trust each other and there's no kind of weird relationship energy going on which i really appreciate i think that's cool yeah, I, I never thought about it in that light, but you're absolutely right. Like, it, it, I don't know. It's exactly what you just said. I think the big elephant in the room here is Satine's death and whether or not that is fridging. Yeah, I was thinking about that when we watched. She did get shish kebabbed. <laughs> Fridging, for our listeners, the term comes from uh, the fourth Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, uh, in DC Comics. When he becomes Green Lantern, his uh, girlfriend, for like no reason, gets murdered and stuffed in a fridge. And it like her death only serves to give him man pain and like send him on the hero's journey. And it was so poorly done. And just kind of encapsulated this trope that tends to happen to women in fiction and specifically like pop culture nerd fiction that Satine's death does feel very sudden. In interviews, Filoni said he's always regretted Clone Wars getting canceled. And one of the reasons was because Satine's death was supposed to be to further Bo-Katan's story, not Obi-Wan's. Mm. Um, and now that we have seen the rest of Clone Wars, you know, this got canceled in 2013 and we only got, you know, the final wrap up to Bo-Katan's arc in what, 2019? 2020. 2020? Uh, jeez, it's been a long year. I know, it was uh, six years ago, but it was earlier this year. Do, do we feel that Filoni's right? Like, did Satine's death, like, further Bo-Katan's plot? To an extent, because it really was, like, It's hard to say because she had already decided to stand against Maul, but I feel like without Satine's death, she may not have gone about it the right way. Yeah, there's like a what, that part of her that, you know, you knew they were going to kill your sister, so you were gun ho for this the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel like, but I feel like there could have been a moment in season seven, which there really wasn't, where we see Bo-Katan coming to terms with exactly what Aravis just said. Like, that Satine's death was that moment where she realized what she had really been fighting for all along. Yeah, and, like, it it could have gone the Hamlet route, too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I appreciate that he said that, but I don't think that it came across. Yeah, because I don't get... There there is some, like... No, I wouldn't... mm, mm. Maybe some transition from her perspective or emotional downfall. I even, I think Ryan, I think we mentioned this, or maybe it was um, Becca and Emily. Um, 
the idea that maybe Bo had hoped after their takeover he would spare her because Bo is his right hand or, you know, convince him not to execute her. Because I'm pretty sure they were planning on killing her whether they captured her alive or not. So, you know, now that that was completely gone, there, you know, Bo had no, you know, that was the way it was going to go at that point. She had like one route to take all aside. So I, I don't know. I don't know what was going on in her head. I almost feel like Vizsla's death affects Bo-Katan's character more than Satine's because after his death, we see her working with Quarky and, you know, people that she would not have considered allies to try and rescue her sister. Yes, I could see that. I don't think she would have done that before Vizsla's death. Um, Once... You know, Satine has died. I don't think it's beyond Bo to like team up with Ahsoka. Like, I don't think, I don't think what we see from her in season seven is any different than what we've seen from her already in these episodes after Vizsla's death. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. But I like what Erevis said though about like she probably did think on some level that they would spare her sister. Never thought about that. I don't think we did talk about that. And I just wish that had been explored in the show. There's a lot about Bo-Katan that I wish had been explored in the show. Oh, yeah. As I've said in previous episodes, I don't think that she got the redemption arc they think she got. Yeah, there's a lot, like, further you could go with her story. Even, like, with Corky. What the heck happened to Corky? That's the other thing. Where is that kid? I mean, in this episode, in The Lawless, when, uh... When they're escaping, we see Corky slam into the ground pretty hard. And yeah. we don't see him after that. I just want to know if that secret love child is alive. <laughs> That's a whole other elephant. In yeah, I'm, de- I'm definitely on Porky Kenobi team. Um, I think I'm the other the thing... The other thing we have to talk about with Bo-Katan is... We brought up last time we talked about her that like she does some on-screen war crimes... And yeah. she does more in these episodes and it's not, it's not cool. And uh, like, like you said, Ryan, uh, she doesn't get the redemption arc that Lucasfilm seems to think no. that she got. And like, I love the character. I think she's a phenomenal character and clearly shit has gone down between uh, the, the between the pages here that like she is a different person over the course of season seven of the Clone Wars and Rebels than she is in season five of Clone Wars yeah. and season four. We just don't see that transition happen. And like she does she does some real evil shit in these episodes. Yeah. Oh, she's probably done more than we haven't seen off screen. That's true, too. She has definitely done more evil shit that we don't know about. Yeah, she's running around chopping people's heads off, too. (laughs) As one does. As one does. Well, in Death Watch, of course. I guess we're kind of talking about what didn't work. We're talking about, you know, stuff with Bo-Katan here that that maybe didn't quite hit, and with Satine. Uh, Is there anything else in these three episodes that you guys can think of that doesn't quite work? They killed Daddy. They did kill daddy. That I find on the negative spectrum, personally. I do think that there's no other way he would have wanted to have gone out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
I could agree with that. I mean, I my okay. How about this? This is something that I that's bugged me for a while. Is I want to know what the hell did Maul do with Satine's body? Huh. Like it obviously, I don't think he's gonna give her a proper burial. Like you just burn her. Like is there a memorial for her or anything like that? Because surely some people had to miss her, or you yeah. know, she had a whole following, a whole kingdom. And I don't... It was probably an illegal memorial on some level. Oh, probably yeah. like an Antigone thing going on or something. And that's kind of the thing with Bo-Katan, too, is you can kind of tie her to Antigone if you're thinking of going the Shakespearean route. Yeah. Oh, man, I love that you're drawing these connections. I don't know if there would have been time, because Maul is ruling Mandalore, gets captured by Sheev, escapes with Death Watch, goes back to Mandalore... And then the Republic helps depose Mandalore, but then it's Order 66, and now the Republic is the Empire, and they're ruling Mandalore with an iron fist. I don't know if there would have been time. Uh, That fucking sniveling, like, the the dude who looks like, um, I'm totally blanking on the the name of that weird animal. Yeah, Almac. Uh, (laughs) The giraffe man. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if he... I don't know what happens to him. I'm assuming the Empire uses him to, as like a ma for a governor well, he's or dead. some shit. He's dead. Does he die? Yeah. He dies in season seven. He's killed by, uh, isn't he killed by Maul? They whacked him. Oh, God. Okay, well then, Almac's dead. Fuck me. The Empire uses Gar Saxon as the governor. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, they put but who um, ruled, Saxon. Who, who rules Mandalore between the lawless and old friends not forgotten? Is that Almac? I think, so. I think so. It wasn't Daddy, that's Jeez. for sure. No, it wasn't Daddy. No, he's... Almec is, Almec is the PM during the Wallace. And then... We don't really know. Yeah, he, he was, you know, casually there watching Satine get executed and, you know... Yeah. Just ate his popcorn. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a sociopath. Almec is, is one of the more underrated villains in the Clone Wars he just does not give a shit. He has uh, big Republican energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hope I'm not getting ahead of myself, but his armor in Season 7 was rad. Yes, I will attest to that. I did like his armor, and they fixed his neck, which was great. Yeah. I have an animation background, so that just bugged me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I think we talked about that. Yeah, I... Uh... I feel like there's a lot to explore in the in-between before and after the siege. Both like, what the hell happens after Maul mysteriously vanishes? Oh, yeah. And then what the hell, like, what does Gar Saxon's rise to Imperial Governor from Terrorist Lieutenant look like? Especially if you think about it, too, they do get a hold of Clan Wren at that point, you know, in Rebels eventually. So he's got a massive, you know, puppet string going on here. Oh, totally. What were you saying, Andy? Uh, I was looking up Almac in Season 7, because I, I did not remember him being in Season 7 at all. And you're oh, correct, wow. he has armor, and clearly I need to rewatch Season 7. But <laughs> I'm going to wait for, I guess, next week. But yeah, He reminds me of a Starbelly Sneech. He reminds you of what? A Starbelly Sneech from Dr. Seuss. You know, oh they always gosh. have their noses up in the air, because they... <laughs> Your literary references are all over the map, and I love it. Thank you. Yeah, very good. (laughs) Arabus is on top of this. Thank you. Uh, 
stuff we love about these episodes. Any oh, anything so in particular much. that stand out? Daddy. Um, I <laughs> I think one of the things that comes to mind is uh how like raw the fight feels between Maul and Daddy. Like <laughs> Vizsla gets a tooth punched out, like they just be beating the shit out of each other in that fight. And it's it very feral. Really, it doesn't really feel like a duel. It feels like a brawl. Yeah. Um, I know Sam Whitworth has compared it to a chess match where, like, Vizsla is trying to counter all of Maul's force powers with these dis- different pieces of tech, and Maul is, like, systematically, uh, you know, taking each advantage away until there's nothing left. Uh, it's it's a really great fight. Also, the beheading is brutal for Clone Wars. Like, yeah. Oh, that's something I wanted to say. Um, these episodes had two shots that the network was like, "There is no way in hell," but they probably said "heck" because they're the children's uh, cartoon network. Um. And only one of them got restored on the Blu-ray editions and the Disney Plus editions. Do y'all know which shot in these episodes Cartoon Network was like, no, sorry, no. It's when Daddy's head just rolls off to the side. No, that's the one. There was a much more gruesome shot of his head rolling away that they were like, not even on the Blu-ray, no. Ooh. The the shot of Maul uh, throwing the light... After Maul throws the lightsaber and beheads all the Vigos of Black Sun, the shot of their headless bodies slumping out of the chair, that's where Cartoon Network was like, nope, this can go on the Blu-ray, but we're not. I guess because they're lizard people, it was okay to put on the (laughs) Blu-ray? That's what I figured, yeah. Um, The only other time that happened with Clone Wars was when Ventress uh, pulls the Ark Trooper in and kisses him. Oh, that was a cool scene. Yeah, they did not like that either. Oh, the, the visual shot of Obi-Wan with his lightsaber like in the lawless looking out oh. at all the Mandalorians fighting each other is so dope. Iconic. I feel like at that moment he's realizing how bad it is. Not even just Mandalore, but that, like what he thought the galaxy was is falling apart. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. It's cool regardless. Any any standout moments for you, Aravis, that we have not already just heaped praise on? Or that you want to heap more praise on? <laughs> if we've already talked about it, we can just keep talking about it. It's our podcast. Yeah, we make the rules now. Excellent. This pleases Daddy, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, well, since we were on the subject of Bo-Katan and her... Um, her arc kind of being a little mysterious and her sudden change. There is this, it's a tiny moment and I like it because it stood out to me and maybe it's just because I appreciate the little details, but it's, you know, Vizsla kind of calming her down, telling her not to worry that everything's kind of going as planned. And, um, you know, they'll be dead beside the Duchess and Bo smiles and has this kind of like smirk in her face. And I think it's way before we know it's her sister. But like, when you go back and look at that, it's like, wow. You really did not like her, did you? (laughs) Yeah, there's that moment. Like, it always stands out to me because she's just, you know, there is no hesitation in her. There's no, as you know, Vizsla walks away, 
you know, her eyes soften or anything like that. She's got a hard stare on her and she's, you know, following her orders and she's gone with it. So you can see looking back now that we know it's her sister, that she was gun ho for this. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. She's, she's a brutal, badass bitch. <laughs> and something that, um, my, my friend Kim has brought up is like, there are no women Sith, really. Like, you can point to Ventress and you can point to Darth Talon in Legends. But, like, women in Star Wars don't often get to be super badass and evil. Um, at, at least, you know, not with, like, caveats attached to it. And uh, I think Ventress and Bo-Katan are two standout just like dope evil women and like there's really no caveat to it they're just awesome and bad yeah i think we got the same route too with ursa had you know there been more of her considering she's you know besties with Bo. i'm I'm sure that's a fun slumber party just (laughs) beheading everybody I wanted I wanted to see a little bit of uh I guess I wanted to see Ursa maybe take Maul's side. We're getting ahead of ourselves and that's hard. But I was just thinking about this today. I wanted to see Ursa take Maul's side. Ooh. Because then it would cuz Bo Bo is not with Ursa in uh Rebel. Ursa is with the Empire and Bar Saxon is with the Empire, so I guess I just always thought that Ursa would have come down on that side of the siege, and that would be where the where the division began. That's uh, true. I, I said, you know, Ursa was trying to, least, yeah. I think whatever happened on the Night of a Thousand Tears, or whatever it is, like, really splintered Mandalore. I don't think it breaks down the middle. I think probably what happens is a lot of sub-factions join, and a lot of uh, reorganizing happens within those sub-factions. That makes sense. And I, I, I mean, she may have done it to protect her family, because Sabine is already born, and I think Tristan's not far off. Or is he older? If anybody knows Aravis. He is younger. Okay. So he, he's not far if he's not born, and Sabine is two years old when the siege happened. So she may have gone with Bar just to protect them now that I really think about it. Yeah, I think it was actually brought up briefly in Rebels and kind of you oh, kind of yeah. have to like look between the lines in what some of the stuff that Ursa says is she was basically on her knees before the Empire and doing everything to try to keep Sabine alive and keep her husband alive since they were basically holding him hostage too. Gotcha. That makes sense. So yeah, so she and I think Bo probably knew more than anyone else would have yeah. known. But yeah, Ursa was doing everything she could to keep the family alive. Here's a theory that I came up with when I was rewatching. Um, that super commando with the spikes on its helmet. Do we think he could be Gar Saxon? Hmm. Uh, it, it's possible. Um, I don't think it matters much. No. Saxon and, does come out of nowhere. I mean, he shows up in some of Dathomir. Uh, right. The, the That's comic, right. But yeah. But he's already, uh, like, he, rescuing Maul at the top of that. He's, like, already I, on the side. 
I, I feel like they probably based the design of him off of that yeah. character, but whether or not it's the same one, I don't know. Something that I really love about these episodes is it shows the moral decay of the Jedi and uh, to some degree, like the Republic, like Maul is so easily able to rally these crime syndicates to himself with a, you know, a brief and quick show of force. And the, the Jedi are completely restrained by red tape from doing their job. Like, their job would be to rescue Mandalore from this terrorist group, but because they're, you know, committed to this war and they're so good, like tied up in the politics of the Republic, they can't. And it's, it's showing how broken their order is, uh, in, I think a really interesting way. I was thinking about that because the whole reason Obi-Wan knows Satine is because the Jedi have interfered in Mandalore before. And the only reason they can't now is exactly what you just said. Uh, got to, they're under the sway of the Chancellor, more or less. And I think another thing that's really interesting here is that when we watch The Mandalorian and we look at Din, Din has this extremely radical view of mandalorian life and you know this is the way and uh it's it's kind of cult-like and if din was here he'd be a baddie like we know he got rescued by death watch and he's probably raised by this very radical group um and that's the the mandalorians were following for most of these episodes as death watch but um we see that they've gotten even more extreme by the time of the Mandalorian. Like, Pre Vizsla, who is the leader of Death Watch, is taking off his helmet and talking with people. And Bo-Katan, who is his lieutenant, is taking off her helmet and talking with people. And clearly something happens to Mandalorian culture that has led to the point of where they're at in the new show. And we... We haven't quite gotten there yet, but it is very interesting to think about how, you know, this extremist yeah. group is eventually going to, like, give us Din Djarin, and this is their early days. I was kind of always thinking that the little extremist splinter neo-Death Watch that he's part of came out of the Purge, which I always took to be something that happened sort of during the time frame of the original trilogy in retaliation for them destroying, quote, the Duchess, quote, in Rebels. Yeah, I think there's 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 probably two fights. There's probably the fight where the Empire solidifies its hold on Mandalorian, and then uh, from what we heard uh, from, I was going to call him Gus, but that's his Breaking Bad character. Fuck. Moff um, Gideon. Yeah, what we hear from Gideon is that, like, the Empire used E-Web heavy repeaters and shit, so, um, E-Web's not around till you know, closer to the original trilogy and stuff. But doesn't he say that E-Web was used during the Night of a Thousand Tears? Yeah, so I think that's that's, the the big kind of retaliatory attack. He says that's during the Siege of Men. 
I wonder if there's two sieges then. I always figured we don't really see the siege and I figured the siege continues into the early empire and the Night of a Thousand Tears is the initial pacification of Mandalore. And then I always took the purge. We really need this to get clarified. Yeah. yeah, I took the siege as, or I took the Night of a Thousand Tears as the beginning of the empire's reign and then the purge as the retaliation. Well, that's why we're rewatching it with this <laughs> mindset, is to try and exactly. see if we can figure this out. Exactly. Uh, any more any more positives or just cool moments or things y'all noticed in rewatching these episodes? Ryan, Aravis, hit us, hit us with it. Daddy's entire existence. <sighs> so what what is it about John Favreau's portrayal here that like really hits for you. <laughs> well, I, you know, it took me a while to even realize it was John Favreau. Um, yeah. Obviously, until I looked it up or I happened to see the credits or something like that. And all of a sudden, I just thought, wait, wasn't that Monica's boyfriend on Friends? Um, <laughs> he, I think he plays the role, you know, pretty well. In the extent of like, well, I wouldn't say in the extent, but to the depth, let's go with that. And that I can, I, I buy it and I can believe that this is somebody who obviously can talk and discuss and play the role within a role that Pre Vizsla does as the governor, pretending to be, you know, with Satine and on her side and kind of, you know, buddy-buddy with her, and then turning his back and suddenly he's an entire warlord over this whole faction that, you know, nobody knew. I mean, they knew they existed, but they didn't know Vizsla was in charge. You know, does Vizsla know that Bo-Katan's her sister? Because he's right there. He could have striked at any moment, and he didn't. So there's that that analysis, I suppose, of the roles he was playing as he played Vizsla that I really, really, really like. We got two sides of him. That is very interesting. You know, how much did he know about the connection between Satine and Bo? Um, cause I mean, Bo is clearly using a different last name. Um, that's something that I hadn't really thought about. And then you, you know, I'm stalking your cosplay page. You cosplay Sabine. <laughs> what is it about, I guess, Mandalorians in general that you like about these, these characters? I, I, I don't know what it is. Well, I know what it is, but there's, you know, so much going on with them and I'm Native American and Hispanic. So I have a lot of like tribal cultural upbringing i suppose so you know the idea of the clan and how tight they are with their families and this whole like i don't want to say animalistic but like this feral instinct that they have in them as warriors that kind of really really makes them different they like to fight but they're so tightly knit this is just their culture just as how they are and they're proud of that and they're going to defend that till they die is I guess it, it's close to home in that, like, I know my culture is very proud of who they are and they will fight to protect that and they will fight to protect their culture. And I'm very, very proud of that. Um, I see it in my family. I see it, you know, in friends everywhere in terms of that. And I guess there's that that pull or that connection to it that reminds me of that. Uh, Sabine wise, I, you know, I... <laughs> I had friends and family when Rebels came out. They were like, hey, look, it's a little Mandalorian that's like you because I do art and I butt heads with everybody. But um, I guess there's just that that aspect of it that hits close to home that kind of drew me to it. 
I've always been very, very close with the the tribal side of my culture. I have I have bows and arrows in my room. We've got, you know, my dad gave my mom a sword for their anniversary. Like there, there's this stuff that just seems so Mandalorian now that you know so much about their culture that I that I see in my own family. That's like, that's kind of neat. And I'm drawn to that. And I really, really like it. There's a lot of lore. There's a lot of depth um, in terms of history and literature that you can tie into these characters and into this whole culture that's just fascinating. And that draws me to it. I really, really like it. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective. That's yes. so, so cool. And that that insight of, like, Star Wars means different things to everyone, and Star Wars is for everyone. Yes. And, you know, we kind of take what we experience and we bring it to a galaxy far, far away, and that enriches it for everyone. Because now when I watch these episodes... I'm going to have this perspective that you just shared that I never would have noticed on my own. Oh yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I, I remember telling um, stories to some vendor friends at the conventions of the, you know, the things that my cousins would do or that my aunt was up to. And I mean, they are very kick-ass women take no shit. It's a very matriarchal in my family and they would call them little Mexican Mandalorians that this was, you know, they saw that in them. Like we just want to show of your family doing what they do, but just slap a Mandalorian helmet on them because it would be believable at that point. <laughs> I would watch it. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't think of a better place to end it. Uh, Ryan, you got yeah, anything else, my friend? No, I don't. That was amazing. All right. Aravis, where can people find your shit? <laughs> well, where you can find Pre Vizsla. <laughs> um, I'm Lioness Cosplay on Instagram. I'm probably most active on there. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't really use it. So I, it, the best place is probably Instagram. Or if you know Ryan, you can bug him. <laughs> okay. Plug your art. Lionheart oh, Arts. yeah. Lionheart Arts is my art page. I am a visual development artist. I have a bachelor's in entertainment art. So I've worked on film. I've worked in freelance, all that fun stuff. I draw cartoons and I work on sets Ooh. sometimes. And she raises awesome birds. I do. I raise exotics. She's not going to tell you that, but yes. I have like my little dog sitting with me right now and she's already throwing a fit because she can't (laughs) see the birdie. I was wondering if that was her. Yeah, that's her. Her name is Bo. (laughs) Of course. So she's, she's, yeah, she's, you know, plugging her name too. Love it. Aramis, thank thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for us. You can follow us on Twitter at Force Friends Pod. Give us money at Kofi slash Force Friends Rewatch. Shoot us an email at forcefriendsrewatch at gmail.com. And we want to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for that intro and for being our producer. Go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true. Ryan, what do we say at the end of the episode? We say, this is the way. Yeah,